Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thinking Inside the Box podcast. I'm Matt Burns. In light of recent events, we are transforming our podcast strategy in three ways. First, by accelerating the release of podcast episodes that we believe will be of greatest service. That starts with our Carrie Chitsey interview, which was released on March 17th and will continue indefinitely. Second, we are scaling our podcast production schedule and aiming to release two to three podcasts each week going forward. We are also actively sourcing experts to share their experiences, wisdom, and practical advice on topics that have suddenly become very relevant to all of us. The far-reaching implications of the COVID-19 pandemic are still not fully understood. Here's what we do know. The near overnight transition of our global workforce has several impacts, including, but not limited to, talent acquisition, operational continuity, internal communications, employee engagement, and leadership at all levels. It's affecting individuals, teams, and entire organizations indiscriminately, often hurting those who are most vulnerable disproportionately. As the days and weeks unfold, the immediate logistics and infrastructure issues that we are now faced with will largely be resolved. Laptops will have been ordered and issued, VPN counts will have been created, and instant messaging and video conferencing services will replace the current in-person conversations that happen in most corporate offices today. Though future challenges will require our attention, including, but not limited to, the implications of prolonged social distancing, restrictions around travel and the flow of goods and services, and broader economic and societal changes that we put in place as we all adopt a new normal. It's definitely not business as usual, and we want to connect you with the information that you need to make informed, evidence-based decisions in the interest of your organization and as people. The best place to find that will be at bentohr.com or on my personal LinkedIn account. Finally, myself and the entire Bento HR team will make ourselves available to our community like never before, including the introduction of frequent barrier-free opportunities to connect, share knowledge, and support one another. Additional information will be shared on this in the coming days. And again, you can find the latest at bentohr.com or on my personal LinkedIn account. These are trying times, that is no doubt. But know that we are here to support you as you support others. Until then, it's important to be kind to ourselves and to one another. We're all in this together, and let's be safe. And now we'll return to regular podcast programming. This is the fundamental error of marketers and HR people, which is the false belief that, that you saw through, that somehow they can force people to do things that they don't want to do. And you know, you might be shocked at the level of almost arrogance, frankly, in, in marketing departments about how the use of kind of what I often will call smoke and, and mirrors manipulation to get people to do things and how much the belief is that that's how you're going to, you'll achieve your goals. Hey everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, the show where each week we'll tackle the most complex issues related to work and culture. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at bentohr.com 
on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts by searching Thinking Inside the Box. In this week's episode, I chat with Adam Shore, founder of Rule Number One, a New York City-based consultancy agency dedicated to helping leaders shape organizations that are true to their unique purpose, that live in their culture, and that they bring to the world what makes them brilliant. I was recently introduced to Adam through a mutual contact, and before long, we got to talking about one of my favorite topics, the blend of marketing and HR. Uh, Adam's career is highlighted by stints in both the marketing and consulting spaces, and had arrived at the same conclusion I did, that these seemingly disparate functions are actually more alike than one might think. An hour-long conversation later, I suggested to Adam we should record a podcast, and he kindly agreed to do so, which is why we're here today. So today we're going to discuss the commonalities between both the marketing and HR professions, their individual functional origins, where they stand today, and why we believe that at one point they're destined to be together, a corporate love story for the ages. Adam, welcome to the Collective Podcast. Thanks so much, Matt. It's really nice to be talking to you again. Yeah, Adam, I, I told you this as we got on the call today. Uh, I'm so excited for this conversation. We had such a great chat uh, the last time we connected. I'm hoping we can uh, set that bar a bit higher for this time. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm up for the challenge, I think, I hope. Before we get into the challenge, Adam, why don't you tell our audience a bit about who you are, a bit about your origin story? Wow, well, it was a wintry day back in 1970, <laughs> and that really shaped everything about me. All right, so a little bit more contemporary. I um, have a bit of a non-traditional background, though increasingly, as I meet more people with non-traditional backgrounds, I realize how traditional mine actually was. But in the business world, I, get, I guess it's a, it's a bit odd. I don't have an MBA. I went to school to get a PhD in psychology, mostly because I was just fascinated by what I was studying, which was nonverbal communication and how nonverbal communication shapes all sorts of outcomes I studied uh, nonverbal communication in healthcare and looked at the relationship patient satisfaction, but there's been so much work done on how this affects court cases and how it affects job interviews and how it affects so many things in our personal and professional lives. And uh, having uh, finished my PhD, I realized, well, I have to do something and I didn't want to be an academic and I don't have a clinical degree, so I, I couldn't be a, a therapist. And I went to the career center at school and asked them what I could do. And they said, well, you should go into consulting. And I had no idea what that was, but I went down that path and I started my career at McKinsey and kind of fell in love there with doing something in the consumer space. And so I went to Pfizer Consumer Healthcare as a marketer and worked on brands like Sudafed and Listerine. And from there, I kind of went back and forth between client side and consulting side, but working in the brand strategy marketing space. Eventually, I found my way to a really wonderful consulting firm called SY Partners that focuses on the intersection of brand strategy and culture and found a way to bring my love for humanity uh, in business to life because we really did a lot of work on helping leaders figure out what their organization really needed to be, deserved to be, and how to fully activate people to make that happen. And it was there that I really spent a lot of time thinking about the nexus of brand and culture or marketing and HR. And eventually I, uh, I left SY Partners. I started my own firm called Rule Number One, where I'm continuing a lot of work uh, that I learned to do at SY Partners, but with a little bit more of a focus on culture. That's great. And as kind of an advocate of these two blended together myself, couldn't agree with more. And I also couldn't agree more, Adam, with your, 
your story of, of being having a non-traditional background, uh, the more people I meet in this journey, the more I realize that non-traditional is traditional these days. And that the days of finding that career at 22 or 21 or 24 and then sticking with it for 30, 40 years, that's, that's from generations ago. Nowadays, we're all stepping into multiple careers uh, and finding ways experientially and through our contacts and through broader networks to educate ourselves beyond the traditional means of education. So, uh, bravo it's for really you. exciting. Thank right. you. And I, I, um, I've got kids who are sort of at starting career age, and I'm both excited for them and really scared for them as well because, you know, back when I was starting and certainly even before me, the paths were pretty clear and you just kind of had to pick one and then walk down that path. And not to say it was easy, but I think it was a lot easier than it is today. So the positive side of where we are now is you have so much opportunity to invent and reinvent yourself and HR plays uh, or can play such an amazing role in that. The flip side is it puts a lot of accountability on, on each one of us to make hopefully good choices. So it, it's a fascinating time we're living in. In a lot of ways, we're paralyzed by choice. I think you're bang on. I think as I look at the options available to all of us, you can take the quote unquote traditional path and you can you know, get into a profession that's going to enrich you over many years or many decades. And that certainly is a path for many professionals. I have friends who are in medicine or in law or in government and, and they've chosen that path. And they, I know they're through many, many years, but they're largely going to stay in the same work environment and the same profession. Then I have friends who have completely transformed their lives where they started on a path and then you know, five years, 10 years later, they've jumped out of a path and gone into consulting or gone into art or gone into you know, not-for-profit work or tried all three over the course of a couple different years. And it's just, you're right, you have the opportunity, you have so many more choices now than you had before. And that, depending on your personality and depending on your skill sets, can be either liberating or can be terrifying because there's an expectation now that because people are more transient, um, that organizations are also more transient themselves with their talent. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a big challenge for HR departments because what we need from them is different than what we used to need from them. And that's a great segue to talk a bit about these professions. So Adam, with your permission, I want to structure this conversation in some ways chronologically. And I'd love to get your background. I mean, I I'm a, I have always had a fascination with marketing. I think deep down that I was probably destined to be a marketer in a past life. But like a lot of people, I found myself into an alternate career path and ultimately have blended elements of marketing into my HR practice. But I'd love for this conversation to evolve in a way that starts with your experience in marketing and if you will, the traditional mechanisms and levers of marketing and what was successful and what was reinforced and what was kind of some of the hallmarks of that profession. Then I'll jump in with um, some of my experiences with the HR profession, see how they dovetail, and then we'll kind of expand the conversation from there and, and see how things have ended up. Great. All right. Let's, let's give it a shot. And I, I, I suppose I should say the definition of marketing, the scope of marketing, the tasks and activities of marketing vary a lot. And you could have a very long podcast just on the topic of what is marketing, but that's that's not for today. So for now, I think I should just qualify. My experience as a marketer is mostly on consumer goods brands, though as a consultant, I've helped several tech companies with their marketing as well. And, and they're very different. That said, I think over time, in a way, everything is becoming more like consumer marketing because of a greater degree of transparency. And so even B2B businesses are increasingly realizing that the, the other B is actually human beings. 
And so uh, it, it means uh, they're increasingly grappling with and learning about how you market to human beings. So that's, I'll, I'll just start by saying that. In terms of my own experience, I've, I've worked, like I said, on, on consumer packaged goods brands, some really interesting ones. I've worked on uh, Sudafed. I've worked on Listerine, preparing the first ever kids product for launch in the U.S. at least. Uh, I've worked on uh, the KY brand, which has a whole host of stories that maybe we won't or shouldn't talk about on an HR podcast. Uh, <laughs> and and um, and like I said, I've worked I've worked with some very kind of wonky techy uh, technology brands as well. And most of my work when I was client side had to do with developing marketing strategy, what the thing really stood for, what was the unique and compelling idea of that brand, and then bringing it to life in things like packaging and TV and print advertising and websites and all of the sort of old school uh, ways of communicating a brand and engaging an audience. I started my marketing career before social media was a big thing, but somewhere in the middle of it, it became a big thing. So then we also had to think about, well, how you engage people on, on Facebook and Twitter and so forth. As I've kind of evolved my work and I'm no longer client side and don't do a ton of work with, with CPG, I've really focused more and more on how do you tell a story about a brand and how do you make it unique and interesting and emotionally resonant. And that's something that tech companies really force you to do, in my opinion, be, if you want to do it well, because the products themselves are often so hard to talk about and so filled with jargon that if you want to unpack it for an audience, it, it really does force you to think about what are the set of human truths behind this thing? What does it connect to that, that is universally resonant with, with people? And how do we amplify that message? So that's, uh, that's what I focus on a lot on the brand side of my practice today. Let me ask you this. So when you started in the profession, and I appreciate the qualifiers, I think marketing and HR, in one way that they're similar that we're not going to get into today, is that they are both very um, diverse professions and they're people that populate all different segments of the broader profession. Uh, so we'll discuss your experience and my experience for the narrow lenses that they are. From your experience in, earlier in your career, what was the either explicit or implicit expectations of the marketing profession as you saw it from organizations and from their leaders? What do they want from you? What do they value from you as a profession? To uh, stimulate demand, mostly. And, you know, in, in CPG, it's often the marketers that own the P&L, whereas in tech companies, usually they don't. And that matters in terms of what the expectations are on you. But for us in, in CPG, and, and probably in, in you know, some very important ways in, in all marketing departments, it was really about drumming up demand, getting people to, to want this product. Now, there's also a lot of tactical stuff you do in store when you're in CPG to maybe not stimulate demand, but to stimulate a purchase. And that's things like, you know, can you get placement at the front end? Because we know that when people are standing in line and they see something that looks attractive, they're much more likely to pick it up. So what are some of the mechanisms you can use tactically in store? But all of it in some way is about stimulating either long-term demand or short-term purchase. And you hope that when you get people at the top of that funnel, that hopefully they'll make it to the bottom of the funnel and they'll become loyal customers. And that's the real win for you as a marketer. I think all of that is very 
old school thinking, by the way. Not that it's completely irrelevant, but I think there are better and more sophisticated ways to think about uh, marketing today and in the future. So let's get into it. How would you characterize the shift in the profession more locally? Well, I, I think it's much more about building movements, advocating for ideas, creating and finding tribes than it is about funnels and demand. And I'm being a little oversimplistic. I, I get that. But we, we are seeing some really interesting things happening in the marketing world. I'm a big craft beer fan, and I love to use craft beer as, as an example. You know, we used to have a very small number of industrial brewers in this country post the uh, very unfortunate laws about us not drinking alcohol in the U.S. And now there are like 7,000 uh, breweries, you know, in the United States. And so you've got this proliferation of brands, which leads to a ton of choice for people who, who want to drink beer. So in a world where you have 7,000 brands, as a brand, you have to find a way to stand out. And you're not going to do that. You know, the, all, all of these 7,000 brands are not going to build businesses that are of national scale. Mo many of them, probably most of them, will, will be local or regional. And even the ones that go a little bit bigger are going to have to have some core identity, something they stand for that distinguishes them from everyone else. And I think we're seeing this in so many other uh, industries. I keep seeing mattress companies pop up everywhere that you never heard of before, and they're distinguishing themselves from the traditional offerings. So I think increasingly it's helpful to think of brand as an idea rather than brand as a product or a, or a set of products, and certainly not as a logo or a name. And that's a great segue into what I think is the first thing I think about when we talk about marketing and HR and the commonalities. So when I think back on my experience as an HR professional, I think about my very first HR job um, and the way it was positioned to me. Uh, and it won't surprise you to hear that it was largely positioned to me in two areas. The first one was that we were an administrative function. So we were responsible and tasked with overseeing the internal administration of the human resources within the organization. Everything from hiring people to onboarding them to seeing them develop through the organization and processing any recorded transaction during their tenure of what we now call as the employment life cycle. The second thing we were tasked with, with following was compliance. And we were tasked with ensuring that the organization followed all the appropriate regulations, whether they be regional, whether they be national, whether they be international. We were tasked with ensuring that the company was compliant and therefore risk mitigation became a large portion of what we focused our attention on. Over the course of time, I, you know, I would say even before that, I, one thing I learned very early in my tenure in HR, it probably took me a week, was that we were tasked with a lot of accountability and not a lot of authority. So we were being asked to do things like prevent and mitigate the risk of litigation. We were asked to do things like compel actions from parties, in this case, employees, uh, that they in some cases didn't want to do, and that may or may not make a lot of sense, but we were ultimately in the HR accountable for making sure they achieved the result. And that's where I see the first link between marketing and HR. We are both communicating to an audience that we don't have any authority over. No marketer can compel a customer to purchase the product or compel brand awareness 
or compel an action, what they can do is create the environment and the circumstances and to your earlier point, the narrative around connecting that consumer to the organization in some compelling way that hopefully will lead to the appropriate action as that individual is being measured on, whether that is you know, market share, whether that is brand awareness, whether that is impressions, however you want to measure that success. HR is exactly the same way. We are measured on items like turnover and employee engagement and compensation measures, all of which we don't have in, in most cases any direct authority or control over. They're simply lagging measures of actions being taken by leaders in the organization. So when I think about the first commonality between those two groups, I go, here are two functions that have a lot of authority, like have a lot of uh, accountability. Marketing is a lot of ways challenged with helping the organization's top line be healthy and growing and, and constantly evolving. And HR is being tasked with perhaps the most prized resource in the organization, it's people, but have no authority over it. So what are your thoughts on kind of that distinction in terms of those two professions and that potential commonality? Oh my gosh, I love that you said this. And I, I wish we had a lot more time to talk about this because this might be the thing I'm most passionate about. And maybe I'll, I'll start here. I, I have used the word consumer, I probably used it in our conversation, and I've, I've used the word employee. And I, I use these words when I use them with a heavy heart because uh, they're awful words and they refer to things that don't exist. And I think this, this is the fundamental error of marketers and HR people, which is the false belief that, that you saw through that somehow they can force people to do things that they don't want to do. And, you know, you might be shocked at the level of almost arrogance, frankly, in, in marketing departments about how the use of kind of what I often will call smoke and, and mirrors manipulation to get people to do things and how much the belief is that that's how you're going to, you'll achieve your goals. So, I said I don't like these words, and the reason I don't like these words, employee and, co and consumer, are because they both refer to a human being. And when marketers think that there's a thing called a consumer, what they forget is that when I'm shopping or using, consuming a product, I am also, like that is one mode in which I operate in my life. I am also someone's son and, and some people's father, and I'm someone's boyfriend, and I have a job, I have clients, I have friends, I, I have all sorts of responsibilities and things going on in my life, as everyone does. And, you know, HR, when they think of me as an employee, they make the same error. They, they think, you know, they frame my entire existence in relative terms to, to them and, and what we have together. And because of that error, marketers often do things that really just ignore human nature and can't work. And HR does stuff uh, that can't work. And one of, one of the most common things I've seen on the marketing side is, you know, so brands every year will, will do their annual plan. And often they'll start with a PowerPoint deck called Key Issues, where they identify you know, the big questions that they want their marketing plan for the next year to answer. And I can't tell you how many brands I've seen that have a key issue that goes something like this. How can we own blank? For example, how can we own the summer? How can we own nighttime? And I always thought those were really ridiculous because the answer is you can't. Like you, you sell crackers or like soda or 
band-aids or something. You, the level of importance you have in my life is so infinitesimally small that you can't own anything. And when you work on a brand as a marketer, you know, you're, you're working more than nine to five hours, every, you know, five or six or sometimes seven days a week immersed in that brand. And you very quickly forget that other people don't really care that much about your brand or product. I think HR, I, you know, in my experience, often shows up in a similar way, which is they have some program or some initiative that they need to launch to the workforce. It's really important to them. They're spending months or maybe a year or more on this project, and then they put it, they put it out there, assuming that everyone's going to read the email or read the poster that they put up and care about it. And often people don't, not because they're bad and not because the stuff, the content is bad. It's just because people are busy and they have a million other priorities. And so I, I think the commonality that both of those departments need to get to rather quickly is the recognition that the people they're trying to engage are human beings and to really embrace what that means. Hey everyone, it's Matt here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we continue though, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Lena AI. The future of work is today and faced with pressure to reduce costs while simultaneously enhancing their employee experiences, Coca-Cola Beverages Vietnam turned to Lena AI for their technology solution. And like a lot of organizations, Coca-Cola was inundated with employee queries. Everything from leave status requests, policy and payroll queries, and they wanted a technological solution that was not only scalable, but also provided a unique employee experience. So they deployed Lena AI's proprietary chatbot and integrated it with their workplace by Facebook module and saw immediate results. By communicating with employees in both Vietnamese and in English, they simultaneously reduced the volume of repetitive queries, wait times for employees for answers, and increased efficiencies within their HR organization. In fact, they were so encouraged by the result, they later integrated Lena AI's chatbot with success factors and their own in-house time and attendance program. And if that wasn't enough, my understanding is they're going to roll out integrations even further, pairing Lena AI with their learning and development, onboarding, and pulse survey modules. Now, full disclosure, I do sit on Lena AI's advisory board, but that's because I am passionate about innovation and technology within the HR profession. I believe we need better tools in order to have success and to contribute more to our organizations. And because I sit on the board, we have received an exclusive discount. By using the code BENTO25 at purchase, you will receive 25% off of your transaction with Lena AI. So for more information, please log on to lena.ai and use the code BENTO25 to receive 25% off your purchase. And now, back to our show. So, I want to get into that topic, but I also want at some point after the show for you to tell me where I can get some nighttime crackers. Cause that would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, when I, when I worked on, on Listerine, one of our, one of our big opportunities was, was nighttime. And one of the dentists I worked with told me that it, it, it's actually more beneficial if you're going to use Listerine only once a day to use it at nighttime because you're not salivating a lot. At, at night, so there's less natural cleaning happening. But most people actually, if they were going to use it once a day, would use it in the morning because they're going to work and they don't want to have 
bad breath. And so we realized, gosh, if we could just get people to use Listerine at night, we could like we could double our business. It was a huge, huge opportunity and 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 harder to crack than you'd think because again, we're talking about human beings and just because you have it in your marketing plan doesn't mean they really need to care about it. Agreed. And that, you know, your example you gave about HR, and I'll, you know, flip things over to this profession for a minute, is is the biggest, I would say it may not be the biggest. It might be one of the top two or three biggest I'll call it gripes I have with our profession. And you hit on exactly where I think HR can learn from marketing, which is another commonality that I see between the two professions is that in particular with the proliferation of data, and as an aside, I think marketing is probably 10 to 15, if not 20 years ahead of HR on that journey. And I have some theories as to why, but I want to get your opinion on that. We find that both groups, marketing and HR, are tasked with the segmentation of audience. And then in the case of marketing, at least, the curating and crafting of specific messages, again, to compel an action or to compel awareness. HR, Mm -hmm. traditionally, does segmentation. And certainly, I've been in HR for 15 years now. I would say probably had exposure to employee surveys, which is the predominant way that we would segment employees and their feedback you know, probably for at least 10 of those years, uh, we segment employees by things like tenure and what role they have in the organization and what geography in which they're based. And we collect all this great, you know, rich and robust feedback about employees' sentiments about everything from how they're paid and how they're talked to and how their managers are and if they believe in the company's mission and everything in between. What we fall short of in the context of the marketing and HR dynamic is when we are curating and communicating messages, we use methods that are probably 50 years old. So I can't tell you the amount of organizations I've either worked in or have supported that their communication strategy consists of the following. I'm gonna send an email to the entire organization, whether it's one person or 100,000 people. I'm going to create some degree of communication, which will be either a poster or a memo or a, oh, some sort of like artifact. And then I will also, if I'm really proactive, I'm going to also reinforce that message on things like employee newsletters and more like recurring publications. And then like we do it once and then it's done. And then when we talk to people and take a litmus test later or try to assess the impact of the communications, we're absolutely shocked as to why the engagement of the content is low, why the, why the recognition and why the you know, retention of knowledge is low. And then we turn around and we blame the employee for not being engaged in the organization. And this happens yeah. today. This is 2019. There's lots of people, I'm sure, listening to this podcast who are nodding their heads going, that's exactly what we do. Meanwhile, we have a, a, a workforce in every organization that is dramatically shifting both generationally but also using technology. And if I was to reverse the dynamic and I was a marketing consultant in this scenario and I was to help you, uh, Adam, raise the brand profile of rule number one, and I said, Adam, I have the best strategy that I know is going to work for your business. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your entire customer email list, I'm going to send them a single message, and then I'm going to go to my favorite copy shop and I'm going to print out, oh, I don't know. 10,000 paper flyers and staple them up along every telephone pole in New York City, I promise you that's going to work and raise your brand awareness. You would probably look at me like I had three eyes and then you would throw me out of your office. But somehow in your dynamic of the customer is also the employee and the employee is also the customer, 
we accept that from our internal communications and then wonder why it's not working. When we could be doing things like communicating across multiple mediums and producing video communications with our iPhone or doing podcasts with audio or doing transcription of those two things, the text, and trying to you know, meet the employee or in your earlier comment, the human being where they're actually at because in a world where we're all fighting for attention, we don't have a choice. If you want to convey ideas and communications to an audience, you simply can't just throw ideas on the top of the mountain and hope people pick up the leaflets when they land on the ground. And that's an area where I think we need massive work inside of organizations, especially as most companies I talk to are going through some degree of transformation. I just simply don't understand how you expect to bring people along that journey with you if they don't know what's going on. Yeah, it, this is a phenomenon I've seen all the time, actually. And, and I've been blessed to have worked with some really wonderful people in HR and who, who really understand this, who, who may or may not have marketing skills themselves, but who understand in a very deep way that they, they need to be engaging people differently and who really want to. It, it would be fascinating to try and unpack how, how we got here, how the, how the HR profession got here, and I, that's above my pay grade. But but what I do know is you're a hundred percent right in terms of you know how you've described the reality of today, and I keep bringing it back to let's first recognize that the reality of who we're dealing with is that we're dealing with a human being, and they've got they've got a lot going on, and the thing that you care about is not necessarily the thing they care about, even if rationally they should, and you know we. We always probably overestimate the importance of what we're of what we're working, partly because it's what we consume our time with, and also partly because you know we've we've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and therefore we understand why it makes so much sense. What one of the things I point out, a lot of the work I've I've done that has required some sort of workforce engagement, you often see that I'll get brought in because a leader had some idea, and I sort of imagine that the way this works is a, a leader's like in the shower or driving to work or driving somewhere and you know he or she has an idea and they kind of mull that idea over a little while maybe that's for weeks maybe months just kind of in the back of their minds and at some point they they talk to one of their peers about it and they start shaping the idea and eventually it becomes a real thing and they want to kind of introduce it into the company and then there's a lot of work thinking about how exactly it would work and what it would cost and how it would be executed. And then at some point, a group of people are ready to take that to the workforce. That whole process that I just described could easily be a year. And so then, you know, you want to launch that to the workforce and you forget that they didn't get the benefit of that year to ruminate on this thing and come to terms with it and really think about what it means for them and how they feel about it. And you expect them to kind of start where you are now but they're not there. And so that's one of, I think, the first errors that, that, that is often made when it comes to this work is not recognizing where people actually are. Does that make sense to you? It makes complete sense. And I, I want to be very clear. I'm not dumping all over people here. I think a lot of people, as you pointed out, doing some really, really great work. I just think that two things are happening. So I think, I think you're bang on. I think that the individuals who are ideating and making decisions and setting the context and the mandate for organizations almost always have the benefit of additional time and additional context with decisions. And therefore, when the decision is made, 
they're already at the destination and the majority of people need to come along that journey. There's, a, there's sometimes a, an absence of recognition of the time and the resources and, and the energy it will take to get that group to that information. What I also think what we're talking about in this context is, even if you presume, Adam, in this context, that the leader totally gets it. So the CEO or the CFO or the CMO or even the CHRO in this context totally understands that where they're at and where the, the majority of the people in the organization are at are two different places. The vehicles that we use to transmit and deliver the messages stand very little chance of actually having the desired effect because they're not meeting the employee where they're at. I mean, I'll date myself here. When I was 15 years old and my first job was working at McDonald's, like a lot of people who were a teenager, I remember vividly that when I had my breaks, that this is back when there wasn't smartphones. So I had a cell phone, but my cell phone was limited to making phone calls. So what I would often do on my break is I would go into the employee break room. There would be a singular TV. And because I was 15 and therefore one of the younger people in the group, oftentimes who got the remote was determined by who got into the room first. And either you could watch what was on the TV station, the single TV in the break room, or you could pick up some sort of magazine or publication, which inevitably in that environment was the company newsletter and you could read it. Now, if I'm an employee and I'm 15 years old and it's my first job, you have this wonderful, amazing development, which is the smartphone, where you have infinite amount of information. You can go on social media, you can Google your heart to your heart's content, you can do anything other than actually pay attention to the organization. So your point is your attention is scattered and the value is simply not present in a way that it used to be 15 years ago. And I still think that a lot of people who make decisions around how information is cascaded and communicated grew up in the generation that I did, or maybe even earlier than I did, and that's how they consume the content. So they're developing strategies in a way that appeals to them, and they forget the fact in some cases that people who are consuming the information may not be anything like them in terms of their preferred method of communication or the mediums or the way in which they want to be spoken to. So I think it's incumbent upon us not to completely shift our focus but rather to provide multiple different alternatives. And I think what, you know, and kind of my, my final point on this would be is we need to reach down the hallway and tap our marketing colleagues in the shoulder and say, how do you guys get messages in front of customers? And learn yeah. from those professionals as we employ approaches. And the companies I've seen that do the best job of this actually have blended elements of marketing and HR, whether it's employment branding, whether it's messaging, whether it's that inside voice, outside voice, the companies that do this best are sharing knowledge back and forth because they have different skill sets that are reinforced through education and experience that need to be evolving to respond to 21st century reality. Yep. You know, I think for both marketers and HR professionals, one of the most important things they need to be doing now is to, is to recognize and then act on the fact that in some sense, their number one job is to be interesting. And not that what they do is all entertainment, but you know, I'll share with you a little example here. I, I often have a debate with folks. You know, if you've been to, uh, I'm sure, like hundreds of workshops in your career, and it's very common at the start of one of these workshops, and I run a lot of these, for the facilitator to say, okay, everyone, you know, like put your phones away and close your laptops and all that. And I always hate it when people say that to me. And I, I, when I run a workshop, will almost never say that. And the reason I hate it so much is because I kind of feel like you've asked for my time. You've asked me to come to this meeting or workshop. It's your job to be interesting. It's not my job to pay attention to you. 
And if you're interesting, I won't need to look at my phone or my computer. And if you're not interesting, even if I've put my phone and computer away, I can just daydream and you won't even know. You'll think I'm paying attention because I'm not fidgeting with anything and I seem to be looking at you, but actually my mind is somewhere else. And so this is not a problem you can solve with policy or with anything else. It's a problem you have to solve by being interesting and having something to say that people really care about. And that's true on, on both sides, both marketing and, and HR. So I agree with you. I think marketing is probably further along the curve because they're closer to revenue. And if they're not interesting, they, they see their failures in some ways a lot, a lot quicker. But regardless, I think both of these professions need to come together around the fact that they need to engage people. And what does it mean to be engaging? I think you're bang on. And I would extend it actually one step further. And I would think the same argument exists inside what you talked about workshops. I think about internal and external learning and development efforts. And what is learning, if nothing else, than communication of an idea and then the you know, demonstrated retention of the same idea for application at a later date. And if that information is not compelling or not delivered in a compelling way or through a compelling medium, then that is that a failure of the learner or of the mechanism to teach the learner how to get that information? I think it's a shared responsibility. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Which is why you see the explosion of blended learning models that involve neuroscience and involve technology and involve bite-sized pieces of information because you're right. I have been to thousands of workshops in my day and facilitated a few hundred myself. I have not met one person who's ever said to me, Matt, the best way that I learn is by sitting in a chair for seven hours while someone talks <laughs> in the front of a room at me. I retain everything that the person says. It's the best way. to <laughs> Never has that ever happened. Yeah. Yep. You know, Matt, I, I wonder if I might shift us a little bit here and, and, and tell me if you don't want to go down this road. But one of the other commonalities or reasons why I think marketing and HR need to collaborate more, and to be perfectly honest, I think should actually just be the same department reporting into the same leader, but you know that, that may be a different <laughs> topic for another day, is that the, the brand of a, of a company, the you know, the reputation of a company, what it stands for can't be different on the outside and on the inside. And I, and I don't mean shouldn't be different. I mean, it, it really can't be different, partly because of what you said before, you know, uh, consumers are employees, employees are consumers, but also because we live in a much more transparent world and we have access to all sorts of information. And so if the marketing department or the corporate comms department is working really hard to create a reputation for the company or for a product brand on the outside. But the reality on the inside is not matching that promise. The world is going to get hit to that pretty quickly. And the whole effort to create that brand is going to crumble. And so it's why I really believe brands need to start on the inside. And that brand represents an idea or a set of ideas, values, beliefs, a purpose, and that needs to come to life internally. And today, that's the job of this group, usually the job of this group called HR. And then I think needs to come to life externally, and that's usually the job of the marketing department. But they have to be aligned and connected at the hip, because if they aren't, I really just think the whole thing doesn't work. 
No, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And thank you for taking us there. It actually was the next section of my notes, which is this idea of inside voice, outside voice. Um, and when I have asked myself the question as to why marketing in, in this context may be quote unquote further ahead in understanding the consumer and using data and developing curated storytelling and all those great mechanisms they use to drive awareness and drive actions, you're right. I think it's because largely they're closer to revenue and therefore there's a more immediate feedback loop in terms of their performance in the context of the organization's success. Secondly, I think in a lot of organizations, they've explicitly or implicitly placed the customer on a pedestal and given the employee a backseat. That's, a, that's another podcast for a different day. But I think yeah. the, cons the consequence either way is you're bang on, which is if I'm a consumer and you, your external message doesn't match your internal message, either one of you is not telling the truth or perhaps both of you is not telling the truth. So I, now I don't trust right. you. And now I'm not interested in supporting you as a brand. Um, and then on the second aspect of that, I also think that in the context of, of brand itself, that if we believe employees are advocates of brand and customers are advocates of brand and they're the same person, there's an inherent value in ensuring those two things are lined up. And I do agree with you, Adam. I do believe at some point there's a future where those two things should be married together in some capacity, whether it's in decision-making or ideation or even daily operations. But at the same time, I, I think it's important that from a brand perspective that we we, we challenge organizations to be more transparent, that we challenge organizations to be more upfront about how they operate inside and outside. I think we're under this false belief that organizations must be perfect. I don't think anyone I've talked to ever believes that. What they don't like is disingenuous organizations. What they don't like is people saying one thing and doing another, but they're willing to accept organizations' faults if there's a you know, a, a good faith and there's no malice behind it and all those great things. So I think that's, it's a, it's a really interesting point. And I think that the organizations that understand this dynamic best in 21st century reality are going to be the ones that have the most success in that they understand that whatever messaging, whether it's internal or external, it is both either way you want to shape it. And actually you can leverage both to, to reinforce each other's message. You can reinforce your revenue by talking about the way you treat your employees and you can reinforce your employment brand by talking about how you treat your customers and your overall company mission. They're mutually reinforcing. They never really should have been separated, but they have been because we have placed a disproportionate amount of emphasis on one over the other, but I, it, it is changing and it already has started to change. And I, for one, can't wait for a day where those two things become synonymous because I just think it's one less bureaucratic territorial turf war we just don't need to have in a dynamic, rapidly evolving business you need to tear down silos and make decisions quickly. And that, that can't mean that you're arguing over resources, over who gets what and who doesn't get what. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation earlier today with a client about this very topic. And I know that that sounds like I just totally made it up because I'm on this podcast, but I really mean it. I, I was talking to some HR folks at, uh, at a company I'm working with about their employment brand. And we were having this very conversation about how their employment brand not only needs to line up with their you know, consumer-facing brand, but in, in, a, in a very meaningful sense, it needs to be the same, meaning that it comes from a common DNA, the character of that company, you know, who that company is, what it stands for, that is what it is, and everything flows from that. Now, the proof points that you may offer for how that brand comes to life are absolutely going to be different for the employment brand than they are for the customer or consumer-facing brand, but the DNA has to be the same. And the more we recognize that, I think the more we can build 
strong brands. And the truth is, th- there are there are amazing people in, in HR who really get this, and the the best HR people are an unbelievable resource for marketers because they spend time with these these humans called employees, and they understand them not just at a macro level, but in a in a really personal way, and can can bring forth the stories and experiences that people who live with the brand for the entire workday have and, you know, bring that knowledge to marketing efforts. And I think that can be very valuable. And likewise, there are really brilliant people uh, and, you know, great professionals on the marketing side who understand how the company is seen on the outside by people who don't have a stake really internally and who can represent that point of view and bring it in. And if those two things flow together, I think you build a much, much stronger brand. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, if I was to, you know, encapsulate our conversation as a real actionable takeaway for individuals listening to this, to this podcast, and I really want to make sure that we do that. I think first and foremost, if, if you're looking for a, a quick and easy roadmap on how to make this happen, the first thing I'd recommend is if you are in HR or you are in marketing, go down the hallway, pick up the phone, send an email, get to know your colleague because the amount of complementary knowledge and skills and mandate will surprise you and you will each benefit from that ongoing conversation and dialogue, maybe not in the immediacy, but certainly in the medium term and, and undoubtedly in the long term. And then more tactical for HR professionals who, who you know, I of course have a vested interest in helping to support as we look at transforming organizations. And I think you would agree, Adam, that if we have healthier organizations, we ultimately have a healthier society given the amount of time we yeah. spend in the workplace. So if we assume that one opportunity we have in organizations around making them healthier is a more cohesive communication message as a means of driving engagement and, and of belonging and of ongoing support for an organization, the one area I've been advocating for lately is get rid of your intranet, the, the traditional corporate intranet, and replace it with two things. Replace it with a chatbot and replace it with a podcast. And I say that for two reasons. The first is, it's just a pure cost implication of that. Intranets are cumbersome, they are expensive to to build and maintain, um, and they're declining in their currency so far as their value. And if you look at the segmentation of your audience today, and you look at the purpose of what an intranet is supposed to be, a chatbot is a mechanism for you to act as an employee query, where employees can ask questions on demand in whatever language they choose, and you have a pre-populated list of questions that employees can ask and get answers to when they want it. They're not waiting in a a telephone queue. They're not spending hours upon hours in a search query trying to find something on an intranet. They get the instant information which improves their efficiencies and improves their satisfaction because as somebody who spent many times with intranets, I can tell you there are a few things more frustrating than trying to find an answer on that platform. You can't get it. And number two is... (laughs) When it comes to communication, I'm not saying throw away your company newsletter. I'm not saying throw away the memo. I'm saying produce the content efficiently, which means grab your iPhone or grab, if you have a bigger organization, grab your AV and marketing staff, film that same information in video, put transcriptions in the video so that people can read it without audio, not having to listen to the sound, extract the audio file from the video. And when you disseminate the information to your organization or even outside your organization, now you have video, you have audio, you have text, you have three different mediums for the conversation and the people who are going to consume that content get the choice. 
If I want to listen to my CEO's quarterly update, but I'm on the subway, a podcast may make more sense than me reading an article. Whereas if I have time and I prefer content by video, I can choose that. The company spends very little just actually produce three different content if they're efficient about it. And the, the consumer of the content gets to choose the way in which they interact with that content, which will always increase your engagement. And with engagement comes understanding and with understanding comes engagement. And that will just ease the transition through engagement because I think ultimately you're right. As organizations transform and evolve, it's that constant connection with the customer, with the employee, with all parties that's going to ultimately make smooth this transition and make things better for everyone. That was brilliant. Awesome. It sounds great. You're sold, eh? I'm totally sold. Yeah, and it makes a ton of sense to me. You know, I'm thinking, wow, this guy's really, really thought it through. I I, I feel in some ways my my thoughts are... um, a little, um, a little less advanced than yours, which is good. I guess it's good that we're both talking here. I keep coming back to like some foundational assumptions that I wish every, everyone had, which is one, you don't control anybody. If you're a marketer, you don't control customers or consumers. And if you're in HR, you don't control employees. It doesn't matter that you hold their job in your hands People do all sorts of crazy, irrational things. We're, we're messy, complicated, emotional creatures. And you got to start by understanding that and accepting the reality that you have to be interesting. You have to meet them where they are. And I thought, you know, your, your tactical examples make a ton of sense to me. I've had that experience on the intranet too, and it's absolutely maddening. I mean, nothing drives me more bananas than remembering that I'd seen an article somewhere and then having to spend like 25 minutes just hunting it down and clicking on every link. So I think that makes a ton of sense. I think really accepting there is no control. You don't control anybody, even though you can fire them, you know, even though you can control their bonus, you still don't control them and you have to be interesting, relevant, engaging. And, and maybe the, the last thing I, I would say on that is just to remember people want to believe in something. They want something to matter. They want to feel connected emotionally to a group of people with whom they're making common cause to do work that matters. And if you can give them that, you've uh, solved almost all of the problem. Uh, I can't agree with you more, and I actually can't think of a better way to end this particular episode. Adam, sadly, our time has come to an end. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great having you on the show. Likewise. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Always fascinating talking with you. I feel like I learn a lot every time. No, I appreciate that. And for those of you who are watching, or I guess in this case, listening, if you enjoyed this week's show, do like, comment, and share. It helps spread our value and the message further and faster. And if you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at bentohr.com, on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts by searching Thinking Inside the Box. Until next week, bye for now. At Bento HR, we enable your HR strategy with custom HR technology procurement, implementations, and integrations to liberate your team from administration, enhance their productivity and experience, to position them at the center of your organization's transformation, where they belong. With experience as an HR executive myself, I have a real appreciation of the challenges facing today's HR leaders. The world is changing. Your industry is being disrupted. 
your organization is transforming, and all the while, you're trying to do more with less. You're being asked to simultaneously model fiscal restraint while the expectations of your departments are only increasing. At Bento HR, we can support you at every stage of your transformation, from architecting the strategy to developing and selling the business case internally. We support procurement, implementations, and ongoing sustainment. And we tie it all together with a deep knowledge of the HR profession and over six decades of combined experiences from our founding team who has worked in or supported large HR organizations across multiple industries, including, but not limited to, financial services, technology, retail, transportation, and healthcare. Check out Bento HR today to build your very own Bento box, which doubles as your business case for transformation. Leveraging recent research into the upside of digital automation inside organizations, and with your help in answering a few simple questions related to your organization, our Bento Builder will provide a directional business case for change. So log on to www.bentohr.com and build your Bento box today.